A language barrier causes the poisoning of an entire country. And we travel to Chile, where we discuss a mythical creature in the last significant witch trial ever held today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. A little bit of a sinus infection, but you know, I've powered through it. Got to get my episodes out. I know you guys are enjoying it and I enjoy making them. So I'll make a phone call to the doctor after this, but let's go ahead and get started here. Now, you know, I have my Dead Rabbit Recommends going on. I saw a movie recently and I don't necessarily think it falls into Dead Rabbit Recommends, but it was completely weird. It was so bizarre. So it's this new new movie, newer, came out in 2017, called Deadly Crush. Now, a lot of times, I don't like to know anything about a movie when I watch them. I just want to go in blind. And I, from the title, I thought it was going to be about, like, a babysitter falls in love with the man of the house. And after she tries to kill everyone, no, but it wasn't. Because Deadly Crush, I thought it was going to be, like, The Crush, starring, uh, who was that? Alicia Silverstone. This was a movie... And again, since I didn't know what it was about, I had to discover it as the movie went on. It was a movie about a young artist, this young woman. She was a struggling painter. She gets a cabin up in the woods to kind of isolate herself and work on her art. And a very beautiful actress. I think her character's name was Bryn. But anyway, so she's up there and she's painting and stuff like that. And there is a ghost there that as she's sleeping, it's making love to her. So you get, it opens up with a couple like tasteful shots of, you know, like this sex scene and she's dreaming this. So she's seeing this guy and they're just like, it's all in silhouettes or she's just like laying there on bed and she's like, and then the sheriff shows up and is like, hey, you shouldn't be in this house. And the woman's like, well, I rented it out for three weeks, so, you know, you can't do anything. And then, like, she meets a guy on Tinder or something. Some guy she barely knows shows up to the house, and he's, they're, like, hitting it off. And then the dude starts to, like, rape her. And then the ghost shows up and beats up the dude. And he's like, ah, he's getting all beat up. So now the woman knows that there's actual a ghost there. Before she was just having these dreams. And she's like, oh, you know, you saved me, but it's super scary because you're a ghost floating around. And the movie progresses where she starts to communicate with the ghost. And then we find out that the local cop killed the guy, turned him into a ghost, basically, and his girlfriend. And the ghost was like, I need to get back at the cop. And the woman's like, no, no, you don't have to kill anybody. And then the artist's friend comes over to visit. And she's also like the art dealer. And she's super drunk. So the ghost possesses her And that's when the ghost realizes, oh, I can actually jump into the living if they're like inebriated or, you know, they they don't they don't have a strong will. And I can definitely jump into the body of a dead guy. So the movie progresses. The the, pretty much the whole second act is the ghost saying we need to find a body I can jump into. And the woman the woman's completely rational for the first two thirds of the movie. She's like, no, you we're not going to let you jump into a dead guy. That's gross. And then he's like, what if we kill somebody? And she's like, no, no, no killing people. I'm not going to let you kill anybody. The climax of the movie is the cop who wants to cover up the... He knows there's a ghost there now. He's like, we have to go and get the ghost out of there. So he finds a local drunk who's also a priest and is like, come to this house and exercise this ghost so he can't testify against me in trial or something. So the priest and the cop, the dirty cop, go to the house. And then the rapist comes back and he's like, I just want to make things up to you. 
and they have this weird shootout. And the girl's like, oh my god, help. You know, she's like running around. The cop gets killed, the priest gets killed, and the rapist gets shot. And the ghost, the ghost lover of this woman, possesses the body, the dead body of the man who was a rapist. And we find out later, he's a serial rapist. He's been raping women all over because the police are looking for him. And it ends with the, the ghost in the rapist's body and the and Bren, the woman, going like, let's just leave together. Because she didn't love the ghost. And then there's another, like, 20 minutes of the movie where the guy is slowly... Ru- she's banging this corpse now. And she finds out, like, she she he didn't... She didn't know he got shot. And they're, like, having, like, they're having all this sex. And then she realizes, oh, because a guy tries carjacking her and instead shoots the rapist in the brain... But he's still alive because he's just possessed by this ghost. And the woman's like, oh my god, I've been having sex with a dead man for these past couple weeks. Then the cops show up and the dude's gone. And then the movie has another ten minutes where the art dealer is at like a resort. And Bren's like, oh yeah, that was so crazy when that rapist kidnapped me. You know, she didn't say he was possessed by a ghost. And then she realizes that the ghost guy is going to try to possess the art dealer. So she runs to the resort and there's this big fight. And the woman and the rapist fall off a cliff. And there's like this... I laughed out loud. There's just this ridiculous shot of both bodies laying there. And then the woman survives. Bryn survives. And the art dealer's like, whew, that was close. And then it turns out that the ghost left the rapist's body and went into her body. The end. Now, you're like, Jason, that's just a stupid plot. Why did you spend seven minutes telling us this? The movie itself was fairly basic. But I left out a key detail. So I'm watching the movie, and it's like, you know, it's pretty much what I just told you. In the middle of it, it becomes a softcore, borderline, hardcore porno as she's just getting railed by this ghost. Like, there's just, she's just like, top comes off, bottoms come off, she's naked, she's getting like... multiple positions you just see this weird cgi thing thrusting into her and i'm thinking this poor actress had to lay in bed and then lean against the refrigerator and then get twisted around and die it's like as many positions as you can fit into a five minute clip and he's just railing her i was like who is this movie made for if you took that scene out this movie could be on the lifetime channel but this scene was strictly put in for dudes i have no idea what this what audience this movie's made for. I will say this. If you're looking for a good movie this Halloween to trick your girlfriend or any other significant other into watching, watch Deadly Crush. Because it totally catches you off guard. I I just had to talk about that. Every so often you'll come across the movie that is just flat out bizarre. And you watch it and you go, who made this? And what is the audience? It either should have been a ton of ghost sex or no ghost sex or tasteful ghost sex, which is what it was in the beginning, instead of just full-on walking into the kitchen to drink some milk, and then she gets thrust against the fridge, and then turned around and spun around, and it was so bizarre. I had no idea what I was watching. Also, tip, if you're going to have a like a dark romance, you may not want to have the rapist be the guy that the ghost possessed. There wasn't a lot of pickings there. Could also possess the drunk priest or a old cop, but yeah, bizarre, bizarre movie. I, I just don't know what they were going for in that one. So not necessarily a Dead Rabbit recommends, but if you're into ghost sex, that had probably the longest ghost sex scene I've ever seen in a movie. And I've seen a few. And she was really hot. 
So the first story we're going to talk about, this one was interesting. Originally, I had planned to do a, to do a thing about disasters. I wanted to do a week where I just talked about disasters. And then I was like, yeah, that gets kind of sad at the end. So I'm going to kind of break it up. Now, so this disaster, really bizarre. So back in 1971, Iraq was going through a big food shortage. They weren't, their crops weren't producing. They were having a massive drought and they were just suffering, didn't have enough food to go around. And what happened was they knew that Mexico had these special seeds that were drought resistant. Now, the reason why they were drought resistant is because they were coated with mercury and the Mexican government actually um, had them all spray painted pink so you wouldn't get them mixed up with regular wheat seeds and they shipped them off to Iraq. A couple of things went wrong right off the bat. One, the Iraqi government, who was led by Saddam Hussein at the time, was very slow in distributing the seeds to the farmers. Two, people started stealing the seeds out of the, like, warehouses. They started stealing back. They were like, we need these seeds. They started stealing the seeds. And three, when the seeds finally did start to get distributed, the growing season was already towards the end. So the seeds weren't going to do them any good until next uh, spring next harvest. So you have all these seeds that are floating around. They're covered in mercury. They're spray painted pink. And on the bags themselves, they had two things. They had a skull and crossbones. And it said, do not eat these seeds. They're poisonous. But it said it in Spanish. So in Iraq, they're like, eh. And the skull and crossbones, we think that's as an international symbol of don't eat this. This is poison. But it's other regions, it hadn't reached them yet. Or they they didn't really make the connection. I know they were talking about building a nuclear waste dump in Nevada. And one of the things that they're looking at, and they're trying to design a symbol that says, do not come here, that will be easily understood 10,000 years from now. That's what, these, that's what these people are trying to figure out. What type of symbol can we come up with that 10,000 years from now, if someone saw that symbol and had no idea what English was, they would know not to go in there? A skull? doesn't work because we see skulls in ancient history as religious shrines. So just seeing a skull doesn't mean this is deadly. There are certain symbols like the biohazard symbol is designed the way it is with the thorns because it looks dangerous. It's a symbol that's designed to say, don't go here. But if you look at the symbol for radiation, it looks like a religious symbol. Skull and crossbones looks like a religious symbol. So is there a symbol that we can create that 10,000 years from now, people will go, that is a dangerous place, don't go. So the skull and crossbones, they really didn't think anything of it. They had the seeds, they couldn't plant them, so people began to do one of two things. They either were scraping off the pink paint, thinking then the, sa- the seeds would be safe to cook into bread, or they weren't even doing that. They were just taking the pink seeds and mashing them up and turning them into grain either for their animals or for bread for themselves massive catastrophe. 6,500 dead from eating this mercury-coated seeds. 100,000 injured. People were going to the hospital with severe mercury poisoning. And depending on the region, the doctors either figured it out very quickly, and they go, oh, you have mercury poisoning. What have you done? How have you come in contact with this much mercury? They were able to track it down very quickly. Or... In other regions, they're like, I don't know why all these people are sick. People are just coming in and they're like just blurry. Not They're not blurry, but their vision's blurry. They're very sick and they're dying. 
So the signs of this mercury poisoning, first off, that you'll get numb in your extremities. Then you start to like get really unsteady. You're not able to walk. You're really not able to stand. Your coordination goes. Eventually, you do start to get blurred vision to just outright blindness, slurred speech, uh, nervous sent, you know, nervous damage, um, central nervous system damage. So I mean, it was just it was uh, just laying waste to entire communities. Now. What happened was once the government started to catch on that this was causing a problem, they said, if anyone has any of this grain left, we're going to shoot you. It's poison. You can't, you got to get rid of it. And which is a weird escalation. They're like, you got to get rid of it. We're going to shoot you. And it's Saddam Hussein. So it's not like there's a lot of gray area there. So people are like, oh crap, I got to get rid of this grain. So they dump it in the river causing even more cases of mercury poisoning. It's killing off fish. People who are eating the fish are getting mercury poisoning. They are feeding it to their cows. Like I said before, they're feeding it to their livestock. If you ate the meat, you got mercury poisoning. To this day, Iraq has the highest concentration of Parkinson's in the world. And Parkinson's is very, the symptoms are very close to mercury poisoning. So the question is, is are the Parkinson's, people who have Parkinson's being misdiagnosed? Do they just have super amounts of mercury poisoning in them? Did the mercury cause the Parkinson's? And once it enters into your brain, it has a half-life of 27 years. So you're stuck with it. This happened back in the 70s. You would newer generate, well, I guess no, even if it was still, if water supplies were tainted and things like that, they'd still have problems with it. But yeah, all from a simple error in the packaging if it had said in arabic this is poison it's poison even if you remove the paint do not eat under any circumstances do not feed to your livestock for planting only that's probably too much to put on the bag but you could have it poison for planting only and they've had to change their labeling practices since but yeah from a just a simple you know it was a, it was confluence of is that a right word confluence Conflu- it's a, it was a confluence of fa- is that even a word we'll just say it is and it was a confluence of factors where you had the bags that weren't labeled for that region you had the severe drought you had people who were like i can't wait a year to make some bread they use this 6500 dead 100,000 injured and it continues to this day massive catastrophe it's crazy what little mistakes can do to entire swaths of people, to an entire region, really. Because that mercury is still out in that water supply from them just dumping. And we're talking, it wasn't like a couple, we're talking tons of grain here that entered into that ecosystem. I wonder if you bury a body that has mercury poisoning, how that affects the soil. Weird. Weird stuff. Our next story was something that I stumbled across when I was looking up our, when I was looking at cryptids. We did Cryptic Week a while back, and I still have a ton of cryptids. Those were just the ones that I picked out. This, for this story, we're going to have to go south, or, assuming that you're in America, if you're in Europe, you're going to go west. And if you're already in South America, just kind of stay where you're at. Because we're going to South America. That sounded bad. I'm not saying you need to stay where you're at. But this story is going to take place in South America, in Chile. And we have quite a few Chile listeners, too, so that's always cool. This is the story of the... Now, I do have to warn you, if you've listened to this show long enough, you know there's going to be quite a few mispronunciations. No disrespect. It's just we're going to be talking about some terminology that necessarily doesn't have pronunciation guides online. We're going to be talking about a creature called the Imbunche. The Imbunche is actually, I think, one of the creepiest-sounding cryptids. 
because it is a human that is twisted into a creature. And twisted, I mean literally. So the story goes like this. You take a boy nine days after he was born, and the local warlocks in this area of Chile, it actually was thought to be mostly around what was known as the Place of Seagulls, which was almost, the Incas considered it a dark region. It's 700 miles south of the Chilean capital, Santiago. So the Incas are like, I don't go there. And this is where this story takes place, and mostly on the island of Chileo. I think that's how you pronounce it. So that's the name of the island. I just don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But anyway, so the Imbunche... So the Mbunche was you take a boy who's nine days old. A warlock will either kidnap the child or pay the parents for the child. And there's a couple different ways you make an Mbunche. One of them is you take their right leg and you bend it around to the back of their neck and you make it so it's stuck there. So now they have one leg and two arms and they kind of scurry around. You start off just feeding them like goat milk. But if the warlock is in a particularly giving mood, he can dig up a corpse and feed you corpse meat. And your job is to guard the cave of the warlock so it's a lookout. And sometimes he sends you out on missions. And even though you never get to learn to speak language, you can only talk in guttural tones, just by being around the warlock so much, you'll pick up magic spells. Now that one, that description, I thought, that's horrifying. That description's actually quaint. Compared to the other way Mbunches are made. And this came out during a witch trial in 1880. So during the witch trial of 1880, or warlock trial of 1880, the Chilean government rounded up a ton of warlocks. There was actually about 100 arrests. And this was on the island of Chiloe. And it, there was a group called the Righteous Province. And they operated throughout the, like from 1850 to 1880. And probably before that, but they were practicing warlocks. And that's when people started to hear about the Mbunche. So this was their method for creating an Mbunche. They would take a kid between six months and a year old, so a little bit older. Same thing, buy it or kidnap it. What they do is when they first get it, they have to unbaptize it. And their method of unbaptizing is for 15 days, you soak them in freezing cold river water. Not for 15 days, like for 24 hours a day, but every day you have to take them out there and soak them in freezing cold river water. And then you basically put a tourniquet around the kid's head and you twist it a little bit each day. And then you let it adjust and then you twist a little bit more. And you keep doing that until the head is completely turned 180 degrees around and so it's looking by through its back. I mean, not through it, but it's like it can see its spine. Its nose is vertical with its spine. Then they cut a hole in the right shoulder blade, take the right arm, and put it into that hole. So you put the hand into that hole by your shoulder blade, and then you heal it up. So again, now they have two legs and one arm. But they're still this deformed creature. Again, they're fed on either uh, animal milk or human flesh. And the rest of it's the same. They guard the cave, they watch out for the warlocks, and things like that. So that idea in and of itself is terrifying. Taking a human and deforming them and turning them into some sort of creature. But let's look more at the righteous province. So this cult of warlocks basically ran that area of Chile. It was almost like a shadow government. The people in the area were completely petrified of them. Now, when they were arrested, the Chilean government knew that there was a group 
out in that part of the country. But it wasn't a part of the country they spent much time in. The Chilean government had other stuff going on. You had the shadow government. is almost like mafia rule. They ran that area. But what happened in around 1880, Chile was getting involved in warfare with other countries in South America. And they realized that they had basically an insurrection in their own country they had to put down. This was called the War of the Pacific. It was all of these South American countries basically having what, what it sounds like brush wars. It's like border wars. So at some point, they dispatched a bunch of troops deep into their, deep into their country to say, hey, you need to, we need to find out what's going on back there because we're involved in these wars. We need to make sure there's nothing going on back there. When they go back there, that's when the government really learns the truth about the righteous province. They were, in the area, considered smugglers, assassins, racketeers. They, the people believed that they had these magical powers. So the government arrested, and this is all true. This is all true. We actually have court transcripts because this is only back in 1880. And the article I was reading was saying, the Smithsonian.org article, it said this is considered the last significant witch trial ever held. So we have full transcripts of testimony of the witches and stuff like that. They arrested 100 or so witches, warlocks, brought them into trial, and the confession started coming out. Now, the Mbunche was considered part of that. You had a explorer who went out to the cave and was being shown around by a warlock, and he said he saw an Mbunche run at him, a deformed man all covered in hair running at him, not Mormon Bigfoot, another guy, not Cain. During the testimony of the witch trial, people said, okay, this is what we have. We have this cave that's completely hidden. We have a magic word to open it. It's guarded by an embuche and then this other weirdo creature that looks like a pig that used to be a human as well. And inside there's a magic book that's super old. And we have a bowl of water that if you look into the water, you can learn secrets. So the government's like, oh, we don't want them to know that. They also had a flying jacket. So they also have this thing called the macoon. It was a flying or magical waistcoat. So I think that's a jacket. Is that a coat that comes down to your waist? The warlocks would put it on and they would leap into the air and say this magical word, which was Arilhu. I'm really sorry for my listeners who speak Spanish natively. I'm, again, I, I'm sorry. Anyways, you put the jacket on, you could fly around, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. How do you make one of those? You have to flay up a recently buried Christian corpse or the skin of a virgin girl or a dead sorcerer. So not something you can find that hot topic. But anyways, they believed that with these waistcoats, they could fly around. They also, so, and also one of the things that the people in the area believed and was coming out during the trial was that the Righteous Province had a ghost submarine, which in 1880, I mean, we had submarines during the Civil War, but this was a submarine that they used as basically a ghost ship that could be piloted underwater. And it was you, and you're like, okay, that's just a legend. But it was used to unload contraband onto the island, which is how the warlocks made their money, selling black market goods. And people to this day in that area still say that that ghost ship is still out there under the waters. So that came out. That's how they're getting their black market goods. I think from based on that story, they probably did have a submarine. I bet you if they were, because they were racketeers, they were mobsters, they were. Telling people, you need to pay us money or something bad might happen to you tonight. My Mbunche may come into your town and poison all your crops. Your husband may be murdered. So pay us the, so people in the area were paying them protection money. They were selling black market goods. 
They were also assassins. You could pay them to, quote-unquote, put a spell on somebody. They would just poison you. So it was like you had this group of people who... They probably believed they had magical powers. And the people in town believed they had magical powers. But everything they did was 100% real. Moving in black market goods, poisoning crops, poisoning people. They would just say, oh yeah, it was a ghost that did that. As someone's dying from arsenic poisoning. It was weird. So you could join this cult. An initiate could join the, the righteous province. They had this list of rituals. One of them was you also had to be unbaptized. So you had to be in the river every night for 15 days to wash away the baptism. You had to run around the island naked telling people how much you love the devil. And you go through this whole process. And then it gets to this weird part where they basically tell you some of the prohibitions, some of the things you can't do. And they had rules against theft, which is most probably theft towards other members of the province. Because, again, they were shaking down villagers for money. They had prohibitions against rape. Okay, that's cool. That's that's awesome. They had prohibitions against eating salt. You know, high sodium leads to early death. That makes sense. You're like, that's fairly reasonable. Don't steal. You know, don't rape people. Don't eat too much salt. And then after going over those rules, they celebrated by eating the flesh of a dead baby. No gray area, guys. Don't eat too much salt. Let's eat this baby. Completely bizarre. Now, to be fair, a lot of this, most of this stuff came out during a witch trial. So, people, this information may have been coerced through torture out of people. This information may have been made up to get a better sentence yourself. This trial went on for a year. And in the end, like I said, 100 people were arrested. In the end, 30% of them, so about 30 of them, were just considered healers, like local healers and people who believe that, you know, herbs and stuff like that, 11 herbs and spices will, you know, heal that wart on your face, things like that. Other people, though, were charged with manslaughter. People were charged with, like I said, racketeering, running protection schemes. And then other people were charged with just being part of an unlawful society because the Chilean government still considered this group a threat. It it was basically running an entire region within their country. A year later, though, Almost all of the sentences were vacated. The government was like, you know what? Just let everybody go, which is kind of a weird decision. But that was the end of the righteous province. Even though the leaders, people weren't in prison for long periods of time, the fact that they were arrested seemed to shut everything down. And so to this day, it's kind of been gone. The righteous province no longer exists. The questions that remain are this. How likely is it that they were practicing magic? And I think the answer is probably pretty likely, but I think that they were using it as a guise to instill fear. Did they really kidnap children and try to turn them into this monster? Turning someone's head every day to make it look behind the back, I don't know how physically possible that is. But you could take anybody and make them deformed by doing something horrendous. This is basically like a cryptid in that area. And, and the Mbunche has popped up in popular media from time to time. I think I saw that he was in the uh, comic book Constantine um, and Swamp Thing fought one. I don't think that a cult that operated for 30 years and was shut down for one year, I don't think they would just completely disband. I think they would just get better at hiding. I find it very unlikely that this group no longer exists. So somewhere... In the place of seagulls, where the Incas even said this place is full of darkness, there may still be a group 
an offshoot of an offshoot of the righteous province. And somewhere deep in one of those caves, there may be a deformed child who was turned into an Mbunche. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O'Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.